A. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The weak global economy. Easy. The volatility and the upswings and the moods. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Rinita Malhotrahora. U.S. stocks ended higher on hopes of a Greek deal. Mainland manufacturing continues to lose steam and uh, China and the U.S. stress cooperation amid tensions at the start of their annual economic and diplomatic talks in Washington. Well, what are the biggest things affecting markets right now? We'll ask Luxembourg Bank's Hans Goethe. Then we'll also talk with the EIU's Simon Baptist about uh, how China is expected to take over the U.S. as the largest economy in just 11 years. And finally, just in time for the summer holidays, we'll take a look at the holiday travel market with Expedia Asia's Vikram Malhi. Stuart Altcroft is back in the chair as guest host today. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. Stuart, China stocks rebounded after sinking into a correction last week. Were you expecting a rebound this early? Uh, no, actually, but uh, you know, it almost suggests that they're operating the same way as other world stock markets and, and acting in the right sort of fashion. You, you see a big dip and people buy on the dips. So uh, positive, positive signs, if anything. So does that mean we have to wait for another dip in order to buy again? <laughs> well, it depends on whether you consider these valuations to be cheap or expensive. Most people think they're expensive, but not necessarily by Chinese standards. All right. Well, the NASDAQ uh, hit a fresh record record as U.S. stock markets followed European markets higher on increased optimism of a deal that could avert a Greek default. The Nasdaq ended at 5,153, up 36 points or 0.7 percent, its second record close in three sessions. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 103 points or 0.6 percent to 18,119 and the S&P 500 advanced 12 points or 0.6 percent to 2,122. Manufacturing activity on the mainland contracted for the fourth straight month in June as demand remains sluggish in the world's second largest economy. HSBC's preliminary preliminary purchasing managers index, uh, the PMI, came out at 49.6 in June, the highest in three months, but still below the break-even point of 50. However, while it marked a fourth straight contraction, the figure was an improvement on May's final reading of 49.2 and also beat a forecast of 49.4 in a survey of economists by Bloomberg News. Does this smaller-than-estimated contraction do anything for the yuan? Scotiabank's senior currency strategist, Sasha Tinayi, doesn't think so. Um, probably not, um, since it seems to be trading in a very tight range. Probably, you know, the tightest and most extended period of uh, minimal volatility since they broke the sort of post-financial crisis peg back in 2010. And so, um, it's it's probably not. It uh, I think is more important for what it implies for potentially the PBOC going forward. Um, it's not great. Obviously, it's still sub 50, but. Um, 
we have seen a bit of a stabilization with the most recent slew of retail sales, industrial production data, housing sector seems to be potentially stabilizing. And so I think consensus is starting to look for the second half of the year to be a lot better than the first, or at least marginally better. Uh, and that may stay the BBOC's hand, but they're still going to have a bias to probably react uh, to any big negative shocks. China's steelmakers are not in a good place. Steel output will shrink as much as 2% this year. And this is according to the China Iron and Steel Association. This is the first time there has been negative growth in steel output since 1990. Is this the end of construction or is it tied to the commodities supercycle? Here's Neil Datta of Renmac Economic Research. And I think right now China faces a, you know, sort of a tug of war between achieving its short run yeah. growth forecast, but also implementing a longer run kind of reform agenda. Um, you know, China, uh, China still has some firepower. Uh, they are running a current account surplus. Yeah. They do have low inflation. So I think you'll continue to see this sort of small ball stimulus to kind of nudge growth back to target. I think you're kind of seeing that all right now with, with the stabilization in their manufacturing indicators. Okay. Um, you know, it's, I don't think it's falling off a cliff. I think the, I don't think it's um, getting away from them. Stuart, what do you think? Uh, this, uh, you know, downward trend in steel output, is this a function of uh, disappointing manufacturing numbers and, you know, disappointments in the property market that we've been seeing in China? Well, last week our guests on Wednesday also talked about this. And, and yes, it is a combination of all these factors that uh, there is a downturn in manufacturing. They can't export as much as they used to. And, and it's time for correction. They've imported an enormous amount over the years and, and probably they've got quite a high uh, stockpile so it wouldn't surprise me at all if um, it, it stays a bit static for the next few few years perhaps at this point. All right, well, let's uh, bring in our first guest of the morning, Hans Gotti, who is the head of investment in Asia at the Bank of Bank International uh, Luxembourg. Good morning, Hans. Good morning. And welcome back to Money for Nothing. Hans, do you agree with the last commentator that the second half of China, uh, the second half of this year w- will be better for China? Most likely. I mean, we've had the uh, monetary stimulus, um, lower interest rates. Um, this trend started last year, late last year. And in the initial phase, you had a lot of uh, debt that had to be rolled over. Um, you know, and I think in the second half of this year, these lower interest rates will start to benefit the real economy. So we uh, agree with that, that the second half will probably look better than the first. So Hans, what would you say uh, matters most for market moves right now? You've got several different things happening. We've got the Greece situation. We've got China. We've got sort of your internal uh, readings for all of the indices themselves. What do you think matters the most? Well, what matters the most is still the Fed. Uh, Obviously, they are in the process of raising rates. Uh, Still, um, the guess is that the earliest is September. And again, this is our base case, but the conviction remains low um, in the absence of, let's say, if there is a deal on Greece, which it looks like or the market are positioned for, uh, the market seems to think that the likelihood of a Fed rate hike sooner starts to be higher. So that means the dollar goes up, and that's exactly what we have seen. That is, um, it's, for us, it's not exactly a foregone conclusion. There will be a deal on Greece. It could still go wrong, but the probability is high. So I think it's the Fed and, of course, 
China has to be watched. Um, the slowdown there is, uh, has implications for Asia. And um, other than that, equity markets seem to be relatively fairly priced. I mean, if given the low interest rate environment, uh, you, you could argue that equities are certainly not overpriced. So, Hans, are you saying that uh, in order for the Fed to actually raise rates in September, there must be a deal on Greece? Yes, I would think so. I think if, if so, for something goes wrong here in the last minute, uh, it would certainly prompt the Fed to, uh, to hold off a little bit longer because it was the IMF who basically told them, look, I mean, uh, don't, don't raise rates just yet. Uh, traditionally, the Fed has been looking at the U.S. economy more or less on a standalone basis, but they can no longer do that. They have to take the international environment into account, the global economy. So it really depends on uh, a deal that is reached on Greece, whether we see a rate hike. I mean, if you, you can assume that if we don't see a deal this week, then a rate hike in September is probably off the table. And what's the trickle-down effect that that's going to have uh, on Asian markets, if any? Well, the trickle-down effect is the other U.S. dollar. Uh, if you have a stronger dollar, it is not exactly positive for Asia because you have a lot of uh, dollar-denominated debt in Asia. So Asia would like to have a, a weaker dollar if possible. Um, but on the other hand, it could be if, uh, you know, if, if equities go up, and equities usually go up even after the first Fed rate hike. You know, they usually start to go down. The bear market starts after the last rate hike. So, I mean, if the U.S. economy and the U.S. market are doing well, uh, Asia might be well supported, but uh, we still think that it will probably underperform the developed markets. Uh, Stuart here, Hans. The, um, when you see the uh, pos- prospect of a U.S. dollar, increase um it, it and and also the economy of the u.s as you've just said going a, a bit better uh, traditionally asia has always done well out of that it, it, it's a sort of warrant against the u.s market so what i'm thinking is which of the which of the asian markets do you think is going to be best able to benefit from that well, it would be those markets that are exposed to the U.S. economy, which are mm. export-related uh, markets like Taiwan and Korea and so on. Uh, but um, as you rightly said, I mean, the U.S. economy is starting to do better. The first quarter was probably a bit of an aberration on the negative side. We see an improvement coming. Uh, but the high dollar, of course, has a negative impact on earnings. So that's, that's, the, that's the other side of the coin. So mm. if you have higher interest rates in the United States, of course, the dollar would uh, likely go up. Yeah, but with the Fed's likely increase in interest rates, September is the first date that they've set. It's only likely to be a quarter percent and at best a half percent by the end of the year. And on, on virtually zero interest rates, that in, in, in reality isn't a great deal, is it? Is it just Absolutely. the change of direction that is important? I think so. You know, I think it has to, has to do more with, with sentiment. Uh, on a standalone basis, the U.S. economy is strong enough to withstand an interest rate hike. In fact, they could have done that a long time ago. It would still not make an impact. But I think the impact is on financial markets uh, via the sentiment. And I think that's what the Fed is so careful about. That's why they telegraph these things. They, they really prepare the market for, for this uh, rate hike. So it still could lead to volatility in the near term, but as I said, it's not the end of a bull market when the rate cycle starts, because that usually comes against the backdrop of a stronger economy. The problem really starts when the yield curve inverts, and that's towards the end of the interest rate cycle.
All right, Hans, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Hans Gotti, and he is the head of investment in Asia for BIL Bank International uh, Luxembourg. Well, here's an interesting development taking place in Internet finance in the U.S. NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal and Loyal 3 CEO Barry Schneider have formed a partnership that will help give small investors access to IPOs. So uh, founded in 2008, Loyal 3's mission is to democratize stock market investing. And the company gives everyday investors who want to put in as little as 100 US dollars to work in emerging brands access to initial public offerings. And it sells fractional shares of stocks, making it possible for you to buy a piece of Google for, say, $10 as opposed to a single share for $535. So why did he decide to back Loyal 3? Here's Shaq in his own words. Usually when you talk about stocks and IPOs, only the big boys can can get involved. But now with Loyal 3, everyone can get involved. And I mean everyone. Guy that's walking uh, to work every day, guy that's taking the bus, everyone can get involved. And I think this will definitely be a game changer because now it makes makes the level, the, the, the playing field level. But how does a company like Loyal 3 compete with other online brokers? First of all, um, we are fee-free, and those brokers just charge fees. So if you're going to invest uh, 25 or 50 or $100 and you're paying a percent to fees, that erodes your potential return. 100% of what you invest in Loyal 3 goes to buying stock. Uh, second of all, we have access to IPOs, uh, allowing everyday people access to IPOs such as GoPro and Virgin America, where we did 34% of all the retail distribution. That's Barry Schneider, the CEO of Loyal3. Let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up four-tenths of a percent to 20,891. Australia's ASX 200 up 0.13% this morning to 5,678. And Seoul's Kospi up two-tenths of a percent to 2,086. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.11 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 123.87. Yen and one pound sterling buys you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 20 cents. Well, China is poised to overtake the U.S. as the world's largest economy by 2026. That's according to a brand new report released by the Economist Intelligence Unit. Let's bring in their lead economist, uh, their chief economist, excuse me, Simon Baptist. Good morning, Simon. Morning. Simon, uh, 2026, that's just 11 years from now. Will it really take just a decade for China to reach the top spot? Uh, That's the current forecast. China is going ahead at a very quick rate. Even in the midst of China's economic slowdown, uh, economic growth this year, we forecast will still be about 6.8%. So with the U.S. even while it's doing very well, growing at only 2.4, that's still a fair bit of catch up every year. And even if China keeps slowing, as we expect it will, it's still going to be gaining two or three percentage points every year on the U.S. So that, combined with the expected ongoing slight appreciation of the renminbi over the medium term, that's going to bring the Chinese economy up to the same size as that of the U.S. by the mid-2020s. And once this happens, Simon, is it likely to be permanent? Uh, yes, that, that probably is going to be a permanent situation. I mean, China's growth, as I said, is still very high. And even if it slows for the next few decades, which is very likely, 
then it uh, will still be growing as fast or um, even faster still than, than the US economy. So China has still got a long way to go. A much, uh, another interesting story is that of India, which we expect to see accelerating in terms of its economic growth over the next decade. Uh, and in fact, by the, the same date that China overtakes the US, uh, I think we're going to probably see India overtaking Japan to become the third biggest economy. So this is interesting. You've got China, you've got India. What about, you know, other economies in Asia as a whole? And will any of Asia's emerging economies emerge? So, I mean, our new forecast uh, that by 2050, China, the US and India will be the three biggest economies. And actually, they will dominate in a way that three economies have not uh, before. Those three economies will each be larger than the next five combined. So those three giants are really going to be the key elements of the scene in 2050. In terms of the rest of Asia, we see Indonesia coming into the world's top ten economies, while Russia and Italy are going to fall down. A big thing that's going to bite Asian economies in the 2030s and 40s is demographics. And a lot of Asian economies, not just those that we normally think of with demographic decline, like Taiwan and Japan, but countries like Thailand, like China, uh, are going to start um, having a declining workforce. And that means that we're going to have to, to run hard on productivity just to stand still in terms of GDP. Simon Stewart here. I, I'm somewhat surprised that you should be forecasting China to be 11 years away from uh, overtaking the US. I'd have thought it'd be much earlier than that because although we've seen this uh, massive economic growth from China slowing down, it, it's still about 5% higher per annum than the US. And, and given the population size, the, 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 uh, more than three times that of the US, it, it just seems to me that China has, has got all the capabilities of being there much quicker than you've estimated. So, so in, in a way, it seems to me that you're underestimating. Would that be fair? I think compared to many other forecasters, the Economist Intelligence Unit is a, a little bit more pessimistic about China. That's not to say we think it's going to have a hard landing and fall into a depression. Um, but I think the, there, are, there are some rigidities in the growth model that are starting to show um, these are, there are some of these around politics. Uh, there's a real medium-term question about whether China will be able to keep accelerating um, at a fast pace towards high-income status uh, if uh, and the innovation and productivity and creativity that's required for that um, without some change in the, in the political system. So that and, of course, changing desires as household incomes rise, people are already becoming more worried about issues like the environment, uh, issues like access to media and the internet will, uh, are becoming uh, more and more important for, for people in China as their basic needs uh, are met. So we, I do think there are going to be some, some frictions in the Chinese growth model and there will be some difficult choices to be made in the coming decade. All right, Simon, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Simon Baptist, and he is the chief economist at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Well, it's that uh, time of the year when many people plan their summer getaway. Late deals and short city city breaks are among the most popular search items when it comes to online travel hunting. This morning, we're joined by Expedia Asia's general manager, Vikram Malhi. Good morning, Vikram. Good morning. So, Vikram, you know, summer travel is exciting, but uh, a lot of the times it's the same old, same old. So where are people looking to travel this year? 
you know the we, we talked about um, the the emerging economies a little bit and i think from travel perspective as well some of these destinations are becoming quite popular now so um cambodia vietnam are quite popular within the region um the usual you know tokyo seoul taipei for hong kong is um always a big sort of a destination and given the currency situation in europe europe has been a very big um a summer vacation holiday uh, for a lot of people in asia is is that historic or is that something recent so i think definitely there is a trend historically for europe in summer but uh because of the currency situation uh, this year it has been much more popular than in past greece specifically uh, yes absolutely <laughs> there's a lot of uh, greece being sold yeah absolutely okay so are people using things like loyalty programs and especially those outside of what is offered by airlines Yeah so I think you know if you look at now the online travel agencies most of the online travel agencies such as Expedia um have their own loyalty programs and the benefit there is you get to sort of double dip so if I buy a Cathay Pacific uh flight on Expedia I obviously get the Cathay Pacific miles but I also then earn points on Expedia's loyalty program which is Expedia Plus um so I sort of get a double dipping of uh, of points which is great from a consumer perspective because Expedia is paying me to buy a flight on Cathay that I'm going to you know get my miles on anyway now Surely that is something new because that never used to be the case earlier right you had to choose one or the other you know we recently launched this program in hong kong so hong kong launched in april um expedia has always given points on any purchase that is done on expedia um and we don't really we're kind of agnostic on any airline so you can buy any airline on expedia we have about 400 airlines and we give you points on any purchase you make on expedia what about uh, loyalty points when it comes to hotels and car rentals things like that so uh, expedia again so if you buy on expedia you get the points there's no sort of um, uh, question about that but um, some hotels have different policies so hotels will have different policies some hotels will give you points when you book through expedia some don't uh, but by and large you know most of the suppliers will give you points on their loyalty program one of the biggest problems i find in uh, trying to book holidays around school holiday periods is that the airlines just hike up the prices double the prices to some incredibly high levels and it's almost penalizing us for having kids in school here so what can you do to help us on that <laughs> Well I mean it, you know it's sort of a supply and demand issue right so No uh, not really <laughs> yeah, I think they, it's a ripping off personally uh, Yeah well you know so if you talk to airlines uh, they they definitely you know use this as an opportunity to uh, make up some of the profit that they they need mm. to make um you know on off season it's quite low i mean you know if you look at the lcc market they're quite aggressive in their pricing so i think one of the things to do here is also look at um low cost carriers um i think especially if you're taking trips which are shorter uh, 2 to 4 hours it's always good to look at um you know hong kong express in hong kong mm. is doing a good job of pricing very very aggressively uh for the consumer so i think that's always a good thing to look at especially when you're traveling with families and the other thing to do uh you know expedia offers this which is you know if you bundle things together you'll always get a very good price so on expedia for example if you buy a flight and a hotel together
together, on the total cost, you can get up to 33, 35% off. So, so if I do something online with you, yeah. um, I can get a virtually instant confirmation, can I? Because I know that when I've done things via uh, airline websites, it takes 48 hours or longer to get confirmations. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so Expedia, um, you know, we've always been instant confirmation, so we're hooked into all the airlines and hotels. So at that mm. point, when you make a booking, as your payment is taken, you get the confirmed seat. So yes. there is no call back or there's no sort of, you have to wait for 48 hours. It's instant confirmation. Mm. Vikram, for, uh, you know, consumers here in Asia who are looking to purchase our travel uh, online, our holidays and plan them online, what are our different options? Who are all the different companies out there? Well, um, so there's definitely sort of Expedia and then there are Expedia group of companies that, that operate in Asia. So Hotels.com is one of them. Um, uh, you know, there are local players in market. So, you know, let's talk about Hong Kong specifically. So Hong Kong has a lot of offline players that obviously play into that. You know, uh, Hong Kong, unfortunately or fortunately for us, I suppose, there's not a lot of um, uh, online players in the market. So Wing on Travel, which has been an offline agency, is trying to enter the online space but online it's either direct suppliers so you go to Cathay Pacific or you come to an online travel agency like Expedia or Hotels.com so those are sort of the big options. And what about TripAdvisor? So TripAdvisor is um, um, is not a booking site. It's more so of a review it, site. It's more of a review site. If you So TripAdvisor is a place you go to when you start thinking about vacation so you know where should I go so those kinds of questions TripAdvisor can uh, sort of help with you know what kind of hotel should I stay in to a certain extent they can help with but then when it comes to the actual booking it has to happen on some of the, the, the and, and how do you cope with people keep changing their mind that seems to happen all the time in, ho- in, in holiday bookings too doesn't it so I, I think uh, there's always that sort of situation when you, uh, you know, for TripAdvisor, they, they use Expedia, for example, to send their traffic and then we can make the booking on our end. Um, and, you know, as the, you know, during summer, for example, as trends change, um, you know, a company like Expedia that offers every destination, every airline, you know, it's, it's good to be at a place where you have everything in one place. All right, Vikram, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's very interesting. Uh, that's Vikram Malhi, and he is the general manager for Asia at Expedia, your place to Plan your travel, your summer travel. All right, let's take a quick look at the numbers now before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is up four-tenths of a percent to 20,891. Australia's ASX 200 index is down 0.05% to 5,668. And Seoul's Kospi is up two-tenths of a percent to 2,085. Gold is currently valued at $1,177.47 and Brent crude oil at $64.61. So, Stuart, here we are, end of Wednesday on Money for Nothing. Yep, indeed. Besides uh, the (laughs) Greece decision tomorrow, what else should we be keeping our eyes on? Oh, I think uh, Greece is still going to occupy a lot of people's minds, uh, certainly until something is resolved. And yes, will will it be resolved um, in in this long-running saga? I'm not entirely sure it will be, personally. Yep, 
again, we'll have to wait and mm. watch and see. Indeed. All right, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today and every Wednesday. That is Stuart Aldcroft, and he is the chairman of City Trust. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for this morning's edition of Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be cloudy with showers and a few squally thunderstorms. Showers will be heavier over the western part of the territory at first. The temperature right now is 29 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 86%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Sam Butler. The American Vice President Joe Biden says while the United States and China will have disagreements, the world is depending on the two powers to work together. He was speaking at the start of the annual U.S.-China Security and Economic Dialogue, which is taking place amid growing tensions over cyber theft and China's island building in disputed areas of the South China Sea. Mr Biden urged Beijing to be a responsible stakeholder in international affairs. Vice Premier Wang Yang said neither countries could afford any confrontation. In any decision made in either country, we must always remember that confrontation is a negative-sum game in which both sides will pay a heavy price and the world will suffer too. Talking to each other does not create win-win all the time, but both sides will lose in the case of confrontation. Lawmakers in South Carolina have voted to debate removing the Confederate flag from the grounds of the state capitol in Columbia. It's a response to the killing of nine African Americans in Charleston last week. Pictures of the white suspect brandishing the flag have emerged online. Demonstrators outside the state house demanded the flag's removal. There's still attitudes of supremacy and servitude. And as long as the flag is up, That is how people feel about race in this community. I have Confederate ancestry, and even though this is part of my heritage, I think